Food Heals Podcast, episode 245. Yes, we can do little things like the plastic bands, not using plastic bags and straws and all that, or like the lids on Starbucks cups, but it's also thinking about new ways of creating items that are using more biodegradable materials. You know, like having that relationship and just making sure that the factory conditions are okay and who is making the clothes. Like we can actually see you, you know, and just making sure that they're getting paid right. To us, that matters because every step of the chain is ethically produced. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and stress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. All right, welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Allison Melody, and today I'm chatting with cruelty-free fashionistas Meg and Comey Vora. These two are sisters and co-founders behind the Los Angeles-based fashion label Delicate Rain. Delicate Rain is a 100% cruelty-free, eco-luxury women's label that utilizes animal-friendly textiles to provide an array of guilt-free, seasonless garments, which really create a harmonious blend of humaneness, opulence, and street style. Comey and Meg are disrupting the fashion industry by being a voice for the voiceless and empowering other females to go after their passions. They really want to change the preconceived notions of what is plus making compassion cool through their designs and advocacy. Recently, these two powerhouses teamed up with PETA and a number of noteworthy celebs like Maya, Don Richard, Ivana Lynch, Daniela Monet, Harley Quinn Smith, and more to create a video campaign on how to change the game. I love this. Roll it, Roxy. Being a game changer means speaking up for what I believe in. Cruelty-free fashion. Educating people. It's innovating. Boldly and bravely. Doing something good for the planet. Having a completely vegan closet. It's a win for animals, for humanity. Being solid. Sticking to your beliefs and speaking your mind. Vegan fashion is important because how can it not be important? It's a win for everyone. The true test of any nation is how it treats its innocent beings and animals obviously fall into the category. I remember as a teenager going shopping for purses and like people, someone trying to sell to me was like genuinely leather as if that was a good thing. I was like, but isn't leather somebody's skin? I had so many people in my life say, well, they just take the fur, the animal's fine. And I saw these images where they were anything but fine, brutally killed animals simply for a jacket. What if it were me? What if someone wanted to torture me and wear me? I'd have a problem with that. And I, I think that some time ago that was a case, it was called slavery. I knew that sheep are not killed for wool. So I thought it was like some idyllic and peaceful process of cutting off their hair, just like how my dogs get groomed. But when I learned how brutal it can be, I realized I could never buy wool again. What you're wearing sends a message to everybody around you and everyone that sees you. I would any day, any time, rather be saving a life than getting a pair of shoes. That's always what it comes down to. Does it look good? 
at what cost. We wanted to show people that you can still be stylish and super fierce without harming an animal in the process. Mushroom leather, pineapple leather, I've kind of heard it all at this point and I'm so excited to rock those because not only does that speak to who I am, it speaks to a fashion industry that everyone wants to be a part of but just needs that accessibility. You don't have to dress in one particular style if you want to make your wardrobe vegan. You don't have to look like a hippie. The choices are there. Going to very commercial stores and seeing that some of these jackets that they have say vegan leather. To me, that is huge because this is companies listening to people like me saying, hey, we want these options. We don't want to wear an animal. I've always been an animal lover. I, and I've always been a lover of fashion and beauty and developing one's own style. And the idea that animals will be killed or, or hurt for my style was just so at odds with how I felt about what I wanted to portray to the world. We don't have to agree, but the conversation needs to be had, and I think we weren't even having the conversation before. That's changing. Ignorance isn't bliss. I'm lucky enough to have a platform where I get to share my opinions. It's really exciting to let people know where their garments are coming from. I'm choosing the option that is not the most common, but the one that is the peaceful option, the loving option. I believe in vegan fashion because I care. I care about the planet and I care about animals. Being a game changer for me means standing up for my values and being at the forefront of this new frontier. We have a lot of work to do. A game changer is there to do that work. It's part of who you are and I think that's the most stylish thing and the most honest thing and the most attractive thing about people when they are just going to honor their truths. It's choosing to stand forward when few will stand with you. I think it's having a voice and choosing to use it. And isn't the point of all this for us to love one another as we love ourselves? So let's start changing the game by doing that. Inspiring, right? I hope you enjoyed that. All right. But before we get to my interview with Megan Comey, a little housekeeping, Food Heals Nation. So first, a shout out to everyone who came to see me at the Indie Filmmaker Panel at Sundance in Park City. Erica Mandy from The Newsworthy, thank you for your support. Debbie Wolf from the show One Day at a Time, I am so grateful to you. You two sat in the front row and made me feel way less nervous. I could just look at you and know, just feel like I was talking to a friend when I was up there in front of all those people. So thank you. And shout out to Laura Michelle Powers. She's hosted the Healing Powers podcast. We're going to be on each other's shows soon. Nicole and Gotham, thank you for having me on the panel. I was honored. I hope to see you back in Cannes where I was invited to speak. So that may or may not be happening. I need to get my ass together. But if it is Food Heals Nation, I will let you know. And I'd be honored to see you there as well. Come see me next month in Orlando. I'll be heading up the Women in Wellness panel at PodFest, March 8th at 1.15. After lunch, come on by, see some women in wellness podcasters. I've curated some incredible speakers to be on the panel with me. Get your tickets at podfestexpo.com. And some quick Q&A. We've had some of the same questions come up repeatedly lately, so I'm just going to answer them right here for you now. Question number one. I missed the January Rise and Blue Mastermind. Can I join in February? Yes. We already have added two fabulous ladies to join us in Feb, and I do have room for two more. So if this is you, don't worry. You didn't miss out because we actually recorded the first session on video. Yay. So you can watch that to get all caught up. 
And what we do in Rise and Bloom is we just support one another's wellness businesses and help each other with specific strategies, tips, and tools to streamline our businesses, reach more people with our messages, and have a larger impact. And we've got great guest experts in the fields of everything you need to know, like marketing, monetization, Facebook ads, writing books, podcasting, coaching, speaking on stages, making YouTube videos, social media, creating online courses, all the things to help turn your passion for wellness into your career. Something you know I'm very passionate about. I've done it, I'm doing it, and I want to help you do it too if that is on your bucket list, if that's part of your mission in life. So if this interests you, hit me up at info at foodhealsnation.com and I'll let you know how to get started. Next question, what is included in the Italy price and what will the food be like? I keep getting these questions. So let me tell you, in case you haven't heard real quick, we're doing our second annual Italian vegan getaway, June 15th to 22nd. And if you're listening, you are invited. So the price includes nearly everything. Basically, when you get there, we fully take care of you. We pick you up from the airport, drive you to the villa, which overlooks the Amalfi Coast. We feed you delicious plant-powered breakfasts and dinners. We go on multiple excursions like boat rides, hikes, beaches, olive oil tastings. We do cooking classes with our in-house vegan chef, Leslie Durso. All of this is included. Only things that are not included are your plane tickets. Got to get those on your own. There's a few lunches not included only because we're walking around town. We split up. You know, you might stop by a restaurant or a food stand and grab something on your own. But don't worry, you're going to get so much food at the delicious breakfast every morning catered by the villa, made from organic food grown on the property, you are going to have plenty of food. It's basically a huge buffet of deliciousness. They even make us divine, foamy, creamy vegan coffee drinks. There's always like a plethora of vegetables prepared in all different kinds of ways. There were yogurts and croissants and breads and house-made jams. I mean, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. (laughs) Plus, Every morning they would have a different flavor of like a homemade cake. It was literally to die for. And the dinners, okay? Don't get me started on the dinners. Um, We go out to some of Italy's finest restaurants. Most of them have sweeping views of the Amalfi Coast. It is ridiculous. Get your cameras ready, ladies. And the restaurants, they serve us pizzas and pastas and soups and salads, sandwiches, all plant-based, all dripping with deliciousness. I'm not just saying this, but it is truly some of the best food I have ever had in my life. And the dessert. I know I gave up sugar last year, but I will reintroduce sugar in my life just for these desserts. One of the restaurants actually takes these fruits and takes out the pulp and then mixes it with sorbet, then puts the sorbet back into the fruit. And it is so creative, so beautiful, and so delicious. And then some nights we stay in and we cook with Leslie. So we make the food ourselves. One of her specialties was like this divine lasagna. She does veggies in like really crazy, unique ways. So we cook together. We make the pasta together. It's so much fun. And then of course we have our daily gelato stop for an afternoon snack. They have every flavor you can imagine, more vegan options than I can count. You will not go hungry on this trip. You'll eat some of the best food you've probably ever eaten in your life. 
The last thing that's not included is alcohol and gratuities. Tipping is really optional in Italy, and it's not as high as what you would tip in the U.S. Um, and then don't worry, we're going to do lots of wine tastings. We buy bottles of wine and then just split them at the table with whoever wants to participate. You'll definitely be shipping some bottles home as well so you can enjoy them at home when you get back. Last question, and then I'm going straight to our interview with Megan Comey. Is the trip co-ed? Can I bring my boyfriend or my hubby? This is a trip for ladies. While we love our men, this is a retreat that we have created for true sisterhood bonding. What a lot of people did do last year is they hung out with the girls on the retreat in Amalfi, and then they met up with friends, family, hubbies, boyfriends to explore other parts of Italy like Rome and Naples and Venice. But don't worry, guys, if you're listening or if you want to bring your hubby, your boyfriend, we've got a retreat in the works for you. We're going to Mexico in 2019. As soon as I have those details, I will be sharing them with you. For now, if you want to learn more about Italy, go to foodhealsnation.com, click on Italy. If you want to get on the mailing list for Mexico, learn more about that when we're ready to announce, go to foodhealsnation.com and click on Mexico. All right, those are my updates for today. Next up, my interview with Meg and Comey. The Food Heals Podcast starts now. They have been featured in media outlets such as The Zoe Report, E! Online, Veg News, and NBC. They've won awards, they've styled for PETA, and they're bringing awareness to the many overlooked issues in fashion, including sustainability, cruelty, and ethics, while paving the way for several other compassionate companies to date. Please welcome today's guests, Meg and Comey. Hi, I'm Comey. And I'm Meg. And we are the co-founders of Delicate Rain, which is a 100% cruelty-free, sustainable, and vegan clothing line based out of LA. Um, Our whole mission is we want to redefine what cruelty-free clothing looks like and what luxury looks like. Amazing. (laughs) And so, you know, luxury for so long has been really associated with animal products like fur and like leather. So how are you really changing that narrative? So we try to do a lot um, in terms of the way things are manufactured and made. We really pay attention to the quality. We want someone to feel really excited and invested when they're buying something. It's more about saving up and getting an investment piece versus just buying something that's going to also fall apart. So we really pay attention to the type of fabrics we're using and the way it's constructed. So we have special kind of stitches, different types of materials that are just as you know durable as the wool or the fur or mm-hmm. leather, if you will. There's so many innovative textiles out right now that we've been playing around with and we've just been excited to put new things into use. <laughs> How are you redefining it and making it cool so people don't need to be like, oh my God, I had these leather boots instead of, oh, I had these, I don't know, something else boots. I think a lot of that has to also do with our personal tastes and aesthetics. Like Mm -hmm. we've always been drawn to stuff that's a little more outside the box, a little more edgy. And so we really like to put that spin and twist on things. Like we want you to not only feel good about what you're purchasing and think of it as, like I said, an investment piece, but also you're walking into a room and wow, that's you, you've arrived. (laughs) You pay attention to like small details. So for instance, you know, a zipper or something like that, we might pick something that's a little, probably not as obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we love oversized zippers or like a specific kind of button or, you know what I mean? Something that's like more edgier where you probably wouldn't find it if you're just going to... A store in the mall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like more like higher end, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
that was like really important to us too um, with this label was to really provide an alternate solution to people that didn't want to compromise their style or their ethics you know we really believe in not having to choose one over the other and there's a lot of girls that are really into wanting to have that it factor that wow factor but that comes with wearing fur or leather and we just wanted to give them the option to do so as well yeah one of the hardest things Mm -hmm. i find since going vegan and adopting the vegan lifestyle is that all the shoes that I want to buy are high-end leather or the purses. (laughs) And so luckily, you know, now I've discovered new brands and there's all kinds of great things out there. But when you first start, you don't know. I think that was one of the hardest things was to be like, oh, I can't shop at Bloomies anymore because they don't have my vegan shoes. Like all their (laughs) shoes are leather. And I'm not knocking them. They have Stella, so they do have some good quality stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's vegan. But yeah. also, how can this be affordable, sustainable, and gorgeous? And it sounds like that's what you guys have really brought to the table. Thank you. That's what we're <laughs> trying to really continue to move forward with and continue to accomplish and just bring more and more styles and the edginess and just bring it all into one little package that is what people really want to gravitate towards what got you guys into fashion like and specifically vegan fashion like did it all happen at once were you vegan first and then got into fashion were you into fashion first and then discovered veganism like how did it all come to be so we're actually we were raised vegetarian Mm -hmm. so we've never even tasted meat in our whole entire life wow yeah (laughs) so it kind of all stemmed from like our upbringing our parents' religious beliefs because our dad was Jain and our mom was Hindu. So at a very young age, they had taught us that you can't eat meat. And we never had that curiosity growing up either, you know, because there's we had cousins and other like friends that family friends that grew up and they were raised vegetarian as well. But then it got to a point where they kind of had that curiosity, yeah. you know, especially like living out here because we're first generation out here too. Mm-hmm. So they would go and they would try meat. And for us, we were just like, we just... We never wanted to. And when we started shopping, the fashion side came about because when we started shopping, we started seeing that we didn't really find things to our liking in terms of kind of going back to what Meg was saying earlier, like the aesthetic and the quality and craftsmanship of like clothing we wanted. Yeah. And so we kind of wanted to merge everything together. And then we now we're vegan, but it was kind of also like, you know, when you are taught growing up, you know, the principles of Jainism include ahimsa, which is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the whole practice of nonviolence towards any living being. And the whole thing was like, as we continued to have this like dietary lifestyle and we were starting to look into veganism and whatnot, we started really understanding, you know, the other side of things, like where else can you invoke compassion, you know? And so you start looking at all these other things. Fashion was like something that we always really loved to um, growing up, you know, as Comey mentioned, we like had a really strict traditional Indian upbringing because, you know, we are first generation born. <laughs> um, so we'd be going to like all these functions, you know, whether it was at the temple or like family friends houses and stuff. And we'd have to wear your traditional Indian outfits. And, you know, Indian outfits are kind of like they just shop them together and it's just like you pick what it is and it's just a one size fits all. But we were you know, we're tiny, we're like swimming in them. And so we would have to like get them altered no matter what. And as we would be with the seamstresses and they'd be measuring our arm or, you know, your leg to get you fitted for it. It was like, 
wait a second, that would actually look way cooler if it didn't have a sleeve, you know, mm-hmm. or that would be way cuter if it was a crop top. And so then that's kind of like what sparked this whole, let's start looking into customizing our Indian clothes. And then we also started learning about textiles that way, because a lot of Indian clothes are made from silk and just a lot of different types of silks and wools. And so from there, we were like, you know, Indian culture plays such a huge part in the compassion world, but like their clothes are not that. So it just kind of got like the interesting, you know, yeah, yeah like our, that connection. Right. And so as we start continue to make that connection, we we're like, well, we also want to kind of do the same for like our Western clothes. And that's when we kind of realized, okay, like what Komi was saying, we haven't really found the thing. And then there was like still that disconnect from being able to like create a completely cruelty free closet with stuff that you actually wanted to wear. Yeah, it is hard. I still have, you know, my whole philosophy when I started, you know, changing my lifestyle, I was like, okay, I don't have to rid myself of the things that I already have, but I just have to make sure that I don't purchase anything new and contribute to this problem anymore than I already have, you know? Um, So I think it's like, I I wanted to be gentle on myself and not go crazy because I realized when I was looking at all my shoe collection, I was like, wow, I really had no idea how much leather I was buying while I was not eating meat. Yeah, that's like right. exactly it's how so we felt yeah. too. Because I mean, the diet connection was always there. And then yeah. it's like, once we started doing more and more research, we started realizing too, like, wait a minute, you know, yeah. like this fashion thing is not okay either. Yeah, because it didn't align with like our beliefs. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we love the, all the nice stuff. I mean, some of these <laughs> brands like have, you know, a cruelty free version now, but you know, yeah. we were we were all about the handbags and the nice shoes. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and that's like another thing. I think for a lot of people too, it's a little scary because I mean the obvious one's fur, right? So mm-hmm. everyone knows that like they can make that connection right away. But right. there's still people that don't realize that silk or wool, cashmere, angora, there's so many other textiles come with animal products and people are shocked to learn that and then they're like well I can never do that because I can't afford to buy a whole new wardrobe and so kind of goes back to what you were saying Mm -hmm. it's like no you can have baby steps because you don't want to jump from a sinking ship to a burning ship you know you don't want to be like throwing a bunch of stuff away just to buy a whole new right that's not sustainable living either (laughs) so it's like you know if fur's the really big one for you give away the furs, you know, donate, go down even to where your local homeless shelter, your women's shelter, whatever, donate all those furs, all the people that are out on the streets that keeps them warm. That's helping solve another problem. Yes. You and know. by the way, <clears throat> side note, kudos to LA. That's such a huge deal. Yeah. So do you guys know a lot about that? Do people have to get rid of it or they just can't purchase it anymore? So by 2020, if I'm not mistaken, um, you have to have all the fur out of your stores. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So if you have it in your home, you're not going to be arrested. No, no. I don't think it's like that. I think it's just like on the retail side. Well, let's talk about, okay, if someone's listening right now and they're like, what's so bad about it? Because it's not killing the animal, you know, something like that. Well, can we talk about some of the abuses that are happening And why we don't want to have animal products in our clothing? I think a lot of people, one of the misconceptions is, and this is like conversations we've even had with our own friends and whatnot, is a lot of people think that fur or leather is an animal byproduct. So they just think, you know, that this comes from like the remains. But in reality, for people that are 
you know, manufacturers of that, or they're the ones that are like supplying the pelts or, you know, the hides for shoe makers, for uh, accessory makers, whatnot. They're actually raising the animals specifically for that because there's no way that they can sustain that business by just using onesie twosie things off of you know an animal that's already passed i mean the whole process behind it the way that it's manufactured that just wouldn't even make any sense unless you were just doing like a one-off special occasion piece and we know that's not what's happening right so yeah and some of these animals too like they're in these like confined small cages and it literally is making them go crazy because just imagine yourself that you're only able to move within like a certain radius Mm -hmm. you know eventually you're you're even a human would go crazy and so what ends up happening is um the animal starts actually harming itself Mm -hmm. so it starts biting self-mutilating like everything um there was another investigation a a PETA investigation if I'm not mistaken that in India they had seen where the slaughterhouse workers were trying to get cows to get into the slaughterhouse and they would just keep eating them and because the cows were so exhausted as they were traveling to the slaughterhouse they would collapse Mm -hmm. and in order to like force the cow to get back up, they're, you know, putting chilies in their eyes and Horrifying. just hitting them with like these like canes and stuff. And it's just so disheartening when you see something like that. Yeah. Just all for a product. Yeah. That, it's that's so not even a necessity. Exactly. Yeah. It's not a necessity. It's just something that's superficial that we're. I mean, right. A lot of people also are like, you know, going back to the whole food connection, it's like people realize, like, well, you know, I don't want to be ingesting these emotions because you know obviously when a animal is slaughtered you feel that right Mm -hmm. it's like you feel the animal's pain or like if they were scared if they were nervous they were screaming like all that's going into Mm -hmm. the meat and so people are like i don't want to ingest those emotions and i don't want to have that energy well what do you think you're doing when you're putting on the fur coat it's just like (laughs) another kind of energy you know yeah it's the same thing yeah so did you guys go to fashion school? I actually didn't. <laughs> we did not, no. These are the best stories. So how did you get into fashion? It kind of goes back to what we were talking about, like at that when we were doing the Indian clothes, that was like something that we really liked, you know, doing. And her and I were working at different places, like right when we did go to school, but we didn't go to school for fashion. Mm-hmm. We went for like business and communication. So things that'll help you rent a business. For sure, yeah. <laughs> not fashion per se but the fashion part I think just comes from like as cliche as it's gonna sound like it is a passion for that but also like realizing that you can make an impact and give back through something that people also love it's Mm -hmm. like something that brings everyone together and you can also teach people through that so I think that's what was really exciting for us that really appealed to us in that way yeah because I mean naturally when we were younger just for fun, we would be designing. And it wasn't just like the Indian clothes, but we would just, you know, take an old t-shirt or a new t-shirt. And we're like, well, we don't want to look like everyone else, you know, because somebody else might have this shirt. Yeah. So <laughs> we'd like cut it up or like add like safety pins or buttons or yeah. patches, like anything to like jazz it up. That's like literally what we would do. And it wasn't even thinking about like, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a fashion designer. It was just more, I guess, like to stand out. And it was just something that we, her and I just enjoyed doing together. It was like another creative outlet for us. Well, um, her and I are... <laughs> 
<laughs> Growing up, we already stood out, and we were like, let's just take it one step further. And <laughs> at that point, it's like we don't even care. Yeah. So we were like, we're already weird. Yeah. So let's just continue to be weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're like the only two girls in our school that. Um, we're like vegetarian. Yeah. I was extremely shy. So it was like, okay, this girl that doesn't talk. <laughs> yeah. And she doesn't eat meat. And we'd like bring Indian food. And people yeah. be like, don't sit by her. They smell. You know? like, I'd be like, that smells good. I, I know. Now everyone's yeah. all about it, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Indian food. Like, There's Indian food everywhere. Yeah, I know. And the same delicious. people that were making fun of us are the ones that are hitting us up to be like, hey, do you know how to make this? Of course. <laughs> That's just how it is. <laughs> But yeah, and then also a lot of times then we thought it might be cool to use some of the scraps from like the Indian clothes and like put it into American clothing, Western clothing, see like what that would look like. And we just really enjoyed making contrasts and just like really putting them out there like that. I think that's really evident now in the way that we make stuff too. So we always have one thing that's probably not supposed to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where did the name Delicate Rain come from? It's actually what our names mean put together in Hindi. Aww. That's so cool. (laughs) So I'm Delicate and she's Rain. (laughs) Yeah. Aww. And the spelling. So, yeah, because since my name means Delicate, we put a K instead of a C for Comey. And then Rain, we were like... Okay, we can't just keep it looking basic. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to like can't jack- be basic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're like if delicate spelt different, let's change up rain. That is so cute, you guys. <laughs> you guys are so cute. Who's older? I am. Okay. A lot of people are like, are you guys twins? I know. You look so alike. But I can tell you're not quite twins, but very, very alike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Either like people are like, you guys are twins or you guys look nothing alike. <laughs> How close in age are you? We're two years. Okay. Do you complete each other's sentences? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it depends on what the topic of conversation is. Yeah. I have a girlfriend and we literally complete our, each other's sentences. We grew up together and we'll text each other the same thing at the same time. And we're like, whoa. Oh my God. Yeah. So she's like my non-sister sister. That's that awesome. cute. So what are some of your favorite tips for our listeners for green living, sustainability, shopping, all that kind of stuff? I think one thing that's like super easy to do is um, if you're like working out or you're going to go shopping or something like that, a lot of the times we have a tendency to want water with us. So instead of grabbing a water bottle or buying a water bottle or a plastic bottle, let me be specific, (laughs) you should have like a thermos or something else to put the water, carry the water in. Yeah. And a lot of times people are like, well, I forgot mine at home. But if you have multiples, you can like keep one in your car. I have so many. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, you know, water is one of those things that you can usually always get free of charge. So and people are always happy to like fill up a water bottle for you, especially if you're like taking it to an establishment and they realize like what you're doing. Yeah. Especially in L.A., you know, everyone's Uh like commending the whole plastic free situation. For sure. Shopping, something that we love doing, especially me, like one of my favorite things to do is go into the most random thrift stores you can find, Uh you know, like the mom and pop ones, like the ones that people are actually probably scared to venture into (laughs) because you just can find so many gems. And I know for a lot of people, they feel it might be overwhelming or they don't want to like dig, you know, they're like, oh, it takes so much time or I there's just... only one size. Yeah. Mm. And I think to kind of combat that, you just need to have an idea of what it is you want to buy. So say like you are 
okay, I'm going on a trip, so I need a new jacket. And so think about what that jacket might look like to you. Is it going to be cold? So do you need something that has insulation? Is it going to be a denim jacket? So if you narrow it down like that and then you go into a store, then you realize, okay, I'm just going to go to that section mm-hmm. and start there versus everything's in here so cheap. What do I buy? Right. I want everything. I don't know where to look. <laughs> I think to, just to jump on that too, um, I think it's important to have key staple pieces in your wardrobe. It's mm-hmm. not like an abundance amount that you need. And a lot of people... They think that they need so many different types of clothing, but in a, in reality, like you only need a few key pieces, and you can like change up your outfit. You can like literally make like five Style outfits in like right. one shirt or something. Yeah, for sure. Well, and especially because nowadays, I recently just came across this article the other day that returns are at an all time high, especially online, because really? you know, in person right now. Obviously, if you go into a store, your face is seen, right? Like, they know if you're returning things over and over again. Right. So now this whole thing has started occurring where people are doing mass returns online because they just bought the thing for the gram. Oh my gosh, God forbid you wear something twice on Instagram Right. someone sees it, you know? Yeah, that's so true. I mean, it's such a millennial thing, but it's so <laughs> true. And I know exam- an example of when I did this, not because of the Instagram thing, but I have thought about that, is when I had a wedding and we had to wear a gray dress to be in the bridesmaid, to be a bridesmaid, we had to wear gray. I went to every store in LA and it was out of season, so there was no gray dresses. So I had to order like six dresses from Amazon because I didn't know it was going to fit me. And then I returned five, you know? (laughs) So it's like I was guilty of that and it's so unnecessary, but that's what I had to do at that point. (laughs) I think another really fun one is what girl doesn't like her girlfriend's closet better yeah (laughs) so you know people always want to borrow each other's things um so many of my guy friends actually like going to their closets more than my own as well so I think something that could be really cool is if you just have like a wine night or you know every month everyone hosts like a little potluck or something at their house and everyone brings five things they don't care about anymore or they're like down to part with and you guys do like an exchange yeah do like a clothing swap, swap. Yeah. yeah there's actually a lot in LA yeah yeah um what's the problem with fast fashion like I remember in college all we did was go to forever 21 to get an outfit for the weekend party yeah you know let's talk about that and now everyone's going to Fashion Nova, I think. <laughs> there's, there's a lot. I think it has different effects. One, obviously, for the environment. Because these companies have to have such a fast turnover because customers are, you know, we're instantaneously wanting to, like, find something new or, like, have the new trend. Mm-hmm. They have to fulfill those demands. And so they try to put this stuff up in the stores and they try to encourage you that, oh, this is like the new hottest thing. So whatever you bought last week isn't cool anymore. Right. So you need to buy this. Yeah. And in return, that's causing like a lot of pollution to our environment because in order to like keep fulfilling that demand, there's all this other stuff happening. And even with certain fabrications, like dyeing fabrications and just like the mm-hmm. process of them, it's completely polluting our water. Well, there was a study recently done kind of going off of what you're talking about. The mosquitoes are eating plastic and spreading it to new food chains. So basically, they're creating almost like a new subspecies, which is like throwing off like the entire ecosystem. It must be, yeah. So the freshwater ecosystem is at a huge risk now because of this. I mean, they were already 
struggling, but now it's made it 20 (laughs) times worse. And that all goes back to the way people are recycling their items. Or disposing of completely, right? Yeah, because like, well, then there's this other thing that Comey and I were just actually talking about the other night where people have stopped recycling because they feel as if it's not making a difference. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. used to send a lot of it to like third world countries, Mm -hmm. but now we can't ship it out because you know like if you look at china india places vietnam where it was getting sent to they're living in these crazy slums yeah. like it's literally you drive the streets yeah. and it looks like it's like Unreal. houses but out of trash but not in a good way you know yeah because obviously there's like a lot of items that you can use to build it but not in the way that it's being done right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. so it's just so unfortunate and it's so it's kind of like well now we have to dial back all the way and see where can we make this problem better? It's not, yes, we can do little things like the plastic bands, not using plastic bags and straws and all that, or like the lids on Starbucks cups and whatever, but it's also thinking about new ways of creating items that are using more biodegradable materials. And are timeless, right? So if I get something from a fast fashion store, we'll call it, it's going to be out of style in six months and I'm not going to want it, right? So things that are made sustainably so that they will last and also things that are classic so that I'm going to want to keep it for a long time. Right. right. Yeah. And what about um, the wages and conditions that these fast fashion chains are um, you know, contributing because they're using people in other countries, they're paying them very low wages, they are working long, long hours. I think it's worse than that. Well, yeah, because we've just created such a demand at this point mm-hmm. for instantaneous items. You yeah. know, we live in that world of like instant gratification. And so going back to even this whole returns thing, it's like, that's crazy. You know, <laughs> that people are buying X number of items a week and then just hurrying up and taking photos or like being seen at the function. And then they're going to just return it all and do it all over again. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that it's not, oh, I'm going to return this and someone else can buy it. No, a lot of these companies just mark it off as like a loss and just throw it away. Mm-hmm. Or how are you following along with what how it's being disposed? You know, you don't really know. You're probably, not probably, you are creating a whole new problem at this point. You right. Know? But yeah, going back to like the conditions and the, you know, wages and all that. I don't know if you've seen True Cost. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah, like a huge eye-opener in terms of the way human lives are being infected due to um, clothing manufacturing. It's on Netflix if anyone wants to watch it. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, it's phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. It's like I, you know, one thing is when you're using certain type of textiles, you're hurting animals and that's cruelty, but Yes, in terms of fast fashion, you're hurting human lives mm-hmm. at this point, you know. They're being made in the most unideal circumstances. I mean, India has a lot of those kind of factories, you know, in Bangladesh, even in um, the outskirts of Delhi and whatnot. And so it's always struck a chord with us that we wanted to, like, manufacture in the U.S. and, like, be more hands-on and be able to really pay attention to what was happening so we just like being able to like physically go there and see like the workers and like you know like having that relationship and just making sure that the factory conditions are okay and who is making the clothes like we can actually see you you know yeah and just making sure that they're getting paid right but yeah obviously producing in the U.S. is going to be a lot more 
costly and that's obviously going to reflect the price of your product being sold but i mean to us that matters because every step of the chain is ethically produced yes that's so awesome so is your stuff produced in la yeah yeah Mm -hmm. awesome downtown Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and then, like the outskirts. We have yeah. like different um, people that we work with. Yeah. yeah. Depending on what we're making. So. Yeah. It's not a one-stop shop. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, say that. I'm like, <laughs> I think that's also important to be able to like bring on different people that specialize in things. And that way you're able to work with more people. Let them bring Good. forth their crafts. Yeah. <laughs> Give them the opportunity. So you're like these young, talented, adorable entrepreneurs. But did you face any struggles when you were starting out being women being young trying to get into an industry that's notoriously hard to break into oh yeah <laughs> there was still a ton like, um yeah there's an still ongoing is. thing yeah. you know i don't know if it's ever going to be a perfect situation going back to us not having a fashion background you just entering the world of like manufacturing is a whole different beast yeah. um down to like the terminology to how many different ways you can stitch a product you know like we had to literally teach ourselves everything like mm-hmm. it was going to like mba school for fashion right you know <laughs> fast crash yeah cars. like you had to learn you know what's a pattern what's like how to make like an actual sample what's the prototype you know mm-hmm. what's grading what's um what the, kind of fabrications are going to look good in different styles you know you can't just like look at something and say oh okay i want to make that jacket but we're going to make it out of linen you know might not look good it might not translate so there's just so much trial and error and I don't think we didn't know that you know (laughs) so there was like one time I remember her and I because we didn't even know we don't have any family members or anything like in fashion either so we were already like the black sheep of the family at that point (laughs) you guys um are Indian and you don't want to pursue a profession that's Mm -hmm. like professional that gives you a salary not a wage you know and so we are kind of like, okay, well, I guess we're really going to just do this on our own. We, like, signed up for sewing classes, and then we'd come back. We'd be, like, Googling how to, like, stitch something or make something. And then <laughs> we'd be, like, going to the library and checking out books and just, like, doing this all, like, on the side when we come home. And t- sometimes we'd stay up, like, 6 a.m., and then we'd have to, like, go to work at, like, 7. And we're like, wow. whatever, who cares, you <laughs> yeah. know? I remember, too, there was this one time. So you have to have a cut ticket in order to you provide it to a cutter. And what that does is they cut out the silhouette of the fabrics in order to sew a product together. (laughs) So the cut ticket has the amount of sizes you want per garment. I guess for whatever reason, I don't know how this happened, <laughs> but the cut ticket was like literally triple the amount of the quantity oh, that we wanted. Yeah. I know what you're and about. we were at the factory, like ready to pick it up. And they were like, oh, it's not done. And we're like, how can it not be done? Because it's such a small order. And I mean, with manufacturing, as you learn, like, you know that the day that they say that's going to be done, it's never going to be never done. done. Okay. But not only was it not done, you know, we started questioning it and we wanted to kind of see the the quality, you know, do the quality control of what's been done so far. And we realized that the cut ticket's wrong. So we were there overnight because we had to like figure out how we're going to pay this. 
how are we going to like make sure because they used everything they used all our fabric because we wanted to have the extra fabric to like utilize for another garment and mm-hmm. it was just a mess but because we were like <laughs> such a crazy learning experience yeah because I remember th- all that those rolls of fabric were to last us five different styles or something like yeah. that and they used them all in one. Oh no and we were like wait how are we not only going to pay for this but like get more fabric and we yeah and then to sit there and show them that like not to mention that they cut some of it wrong so we were literally just there counting just her and i by mm-hmm. ourselves in a factory till like 3 a.m on the floor literally going one by one and we wow. just like had a notebook and then we were checking off things we like made our own excel spreadsheet like on a piece of paper <laughs> and we were like okay you mark this did you get that okay and we like take turns counting and what happens in these situations do you have any recourse or are you just stuck with what you got no then you get your negotiating skills on point okay <laughs> start pulling things out of the air at that point it's like okay well I'll do this maybe you can teach me how to do that and I'll like help you sew something you know it's kind of like a barter system at that point I think one of the people like did not want to budge but his brother then realized that like it was their fault and Mm -hmm. so he was just kind of like okay well if you girls can at least give me this much, then I'll do these other things and help you out that way. So it was kind of just like you figure out these like barters. Yeah, you just got to get creative. Yeah. yeah, I think that's with all business, but I can imagine that was a nightmare staying up until three in the morning like, oh my God. Yeah. If we were so scared to go home too. We like, what's dad going to say? <laughs> so what's the secret to your success? Because now you've got a thriving clothing line. How did you get from there to where you are now? I think it's just a lot of constantly learning, constantly just like going out there and not being afraid. A lot of the times when like people have a vision, like they get scared and there's only so much you can do behind the computer. You have to go out into the real world. You need to just like go to these trade shows, go to these like networking events. And, you know, sometimes you're going to get something out of it and sometimes you're not. But at the end of the day, it's just the experience and just like start making like the contacts and, you know, maybe like contacting another company that's doing something similar to you or speaking to like a mentor and like kind of seeing like, you know, if they can give you any advice. I also love watching different like TED Talks and like different things like that. So or reading and like there's not just like one key ingredient. You just kind of have to do everything and see what sticks. Yeah, I think a lot of people also expect something to happen overnight or they think by like this amount of time, if it hasn't happened, then they feel really discouraged and they think they're not doing it right. And I don't think everyone follows the same path just because you're doing something different than what your friend's doing doesn't mean you guys shouldn't be traveling together, you know, like you're both on a road to your own success, like your own page. And I think really just staying true to what you believe in and what really ignites you is gonna help because you know I think you asked us like how is it to be in an industry that you know is so notorious for certain type of textiles or you know they have just a certain way of doing things that's affiliated with luxury and that's something her Comey and I still obviously challenge every day but that's also what keeps you motivated to continue to go after it and you know then we get to meet people that are 
like you that are really (laughs) into it, you know, and they want to like help spread that message and really believe in that. And they understand like why it's important and why we should be out there doing that. I think that goes with any industry, right? Yeah. I think it's just really important not to get comfortable Mm -hmm. because if you get comfortable, like it's not going to continue to like want to go out there and grow. And, um, one of the biggest things we've learned also is don't wait for an opportunity. Like you create that opportunity Mm -hmm. and go out and just get it. Yes. And you know, sometimes it's going to come to you, but don't ever like stop having the creative ideas and the flow and the drive because that's what's going to keep going. And at the end of the day also, it's like, just know your purpose. Why are you doing this? And that's because you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. Yeah, always. And you have to continuously like keep motivating yourself. And fortunately with her and I, it's like, if we ha- if one of us is having an off day, we can like reinforce the other one. Yeah. But you just you have to know the purpose. And I think with our company, it's not just a clothing line. We have a bigger message. And I think that's what's like helping us like continue to go. For sure. You have a mission behind it. Definitely. It's clear and it's so strong. And I love what you said. It's like life happens when we step outside of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like being yeah. comfortable is straightest path to death, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like hard to say, but it's true. And like, I'm so glad you guys have each other because sometimes people can feel really alone. I'm sure even having each other, you guys have felt alone in this. Absolutely, oh, yeah. yeah. But what I love is that you didn't ask for permission. It's like you gave yourself permission. You were like, I'm going to go for this because we live in a world today where You don't have to audition to be on a show. You can create your own show. No one has to say you're good enough, right? Whatever it is, like Mm -hmm. you can create a business. No one has to hire you if that's what you want. And so I think we live in a time like no other where there are opportunity abounds. So it's up to us to go, just like you said, like, why? What is your why? And then go after that. Yep, 100%. Yeah, so you guys are doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so tell me about this relationship that you girls have with PETA. Pete is awesome. We love working with them. Um, we've gotten to do some really cool things with them to, you know, really spread the message about importance and compassionate fashion and whatnot. Something that was really, really fun that we got to do last year is we went to Mumbai in cool. India mm-hmm. and we teamed up with a few Bollywood stars and we just you know, had this great day where we did a lookbook with them and we co-styled a bunch of different outfits for different occasions and everything was vegan and animal friendly, sustainable, and it was all done from shops and lines that are relevant in India, especially so that way, you know, the customers out there can get them easily and whatnot. And it was just wonderful to speak to like a whole new audience and we did it with PETA India in conjunction with PETA USA and it was just an awesome day yeah the video (laughs) online is pretty cool and something really cool that came out of it was um, oh yeah it's a school that a college and they used like what we did with PETA as like a curriculum in their class oh my god that's so cool yeah they printed the books out and they talked about why that you know is important because the project in India got a lot of press you know because it was the first time in the existence of PETA India that they'd ever done a project like that Mm -hmm. and we were really fortunate and excited enough to curate that entire you know mission with them is India embracing veganism India is really really big with 
vegetarianism, sure. obviously, you know, because it goes hand in hand with like the Hindu culture and Jainism. Um, I think veganism is there, but it's very interesting in terms of the way a lot of consumers in India view things because there's such an affinity for like the Western culture. So unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) That, um, you know, the richer you get and the more wealthier you become in terms of like your possessions and whatnot, like the cooler thing is to be able to eat meat and like go to like all these um like a steakhouse or something right like restaurants that have like these specific delicacies Mm -hmm. um and i think that's just because india is a third world country obviously you know and by default everyone's getting the vegetables and the fruits and that's like what everyone's eating because that's what a lot of people grow too you know in the villages and whatnot so it's so funny because now we're moving away from our old days <laughs> in the U.S. And they're like, yeah. oh, we want your, you know, ribeye or whatever. I don't I know. know what a nice steak is, but yeah. something like that. I know. Yeah, because, I mean, even, like, when we were in India and we'd be going to all these hotels, they'd be like, ma'am, here's, like, the chicken and the lamb and the thing and the day. And we're like, we'll take the <laughs> veggies. Yeah. I want your finest vegetable, yeah. Yeah. sir. <laughs> And everyone's like crestfallen. <laughs> He's like, "What? Uh, you're from America? And yeah. you're veggies?" <laughs> yeah. But speaking of PETA, we actually do have another great project that we're coming out with in about a month or two. Mm-hmm. Don't know the exact release on it yet, but it's with a great, great group of girls, actresses, singers, influencers, like known talent that we all came together and we are going to be putting forth the future of fashion. That is so awesome. <laughs> well, I can't wait to watch it. So when will that be out? It'll be like out in a month or Yeah, something okay. like that. Yeah. Well, we'll keep our eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm here at your beautiful website, Delicate Rain, Delicate with a K, Rain with an, a Y-N-E. <laughs> Very creative, ladies. So it's beautiful. Your clothes are just stunning what are some of the reactions that you've gotten when people try on the clothes our favorite one is whenever someone tries on one of the leather items and they're like wait this isn't real yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) um or wait so this is totally vegan and we're like yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's important and i mean once more celebrities jump on the bandwagon it's like this is going to blow up everyone that's making non-leather stuff, you know? Yeah. It's just going to be everywhere. And so go to the website, delicaterain.com. Ladies, what about social media? Where can everyone stalk you online? <laughs> We're at Delicate Rain. Just at Delicate Rain. Okay, Twitter, Twitter Instagram, Instagram, Pinterest. Yeah. Pinterest. Yeah. You can say hello on Facebook. It's <laughs> it's a little dead right now, but we're still there. <laughs> yeah, Facebook is a dying breed. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here, ladies. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Thank for, you having for having us. us. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, women have experienced a strong desire to change their status update from hashtag blessed to hashtag OMG even more blessed than yesterday, hashtag loving life. If you experience any of these symptoms, make sure to tweet a Kardashian immediately. <laughs>